I want to tell you a little story about how this episode came to be. Last February, a book called Toxic Positivity had its book birthday the same day as Raising Critical Thinkers, my book. In fact, it was also published by Tarcher Perigee, my publisher. I loved the title, so I investigated further. It turns out Whitney Goodman, the author, is also a psychotherapist with a wonderful Instagram account called Sit With Wit. Whitney offers insightful support to young adults seeking to recover from their childhood pains and traumas. I interviewed Whitney in May. You can listen to that episode, Season 8, Episode 15, to catch up if you like. In the last couple of months, though, Whitney has zeroed in on the challenge of creating healthy relationships between adult kids and their parents. Meanwhile, I've been chatting away with my adult friends who've been asking me for advice about how to relate to their millennial and Gen Z adult kids who are setting boundaries and communicating their pain. Everybody wants connection, but it seems we aren't sure how to get it. I realized that Whitney and I could represent these two different generations and discuss how to heal pain and foster connection. As you prepare for the December holidays, I thought perhaps this conversation can help you. Whitney Goodman is the radically honest psychotherapist behind that hugely popular Instagram account called Sit With Wit. She's the owner of the Collaborative Counseling Center, a private therapy practice in Miami, Florida. I have come to really appreciate Whitney and consider her a colleague and friend. Please join me in welcoming Whitney back to the Brave Writer Podcast. Okay, so Whitney, (laughs) thank you so much for coming back to the podcast. I have been following you diligently ever since I first discovered your book, Toxic Positivity, And suddenly you entered a theme that has been the subject of much discussion between me and my peer group, which is how can adult parents, people my age, my generation, maybe 50s, 60s, 70s, relate to their millennial, Gen X, Gen Z adult children and find some harmony between those generations? You seem to be talking a lot about that from the adult child perspective. I sort of represent the adult parent perspective. How did you get interested in this? And then please, can you help us? (laughs) Yes, absolutely. So I'm a family therapist by training. So I've always been interested in kind of how these themes come up. Uh, But since I became a parent myself, I felt like I've been in this unique perspective of being at the age where I'm still interacting a lot with my parents, um, and then also becoming a parent myself. And for some reason, I don't know if it was COVID or what, but like everybody that's been coming into my office has been between the ages of like 25 and 35 and really struggling with relating to their parents and their parents with them. And so I was just like, wow, I'm going to start writing about this more and, and see if it gets any traction. And it's been such a popular topic. Yeah. I feel like there might be a reason for it. And I want to throw out my theory and then have you either validate it or, you know, shred it. Um, (laughs) 
But my generation, when I think back to when I was growing up and I had my parents, uh, we were not as aware of family systems, dysfunctional families, even things like being an adult child of an alcoholic really didn't come into popular vocabulary in my life till the 1980s. By then I was married. I had been to therapy with my then husband a few times in the first two years of marriage. And in that second year, when we returned, our therapist went through this list of criteria and said, were your parents alcoholics, John? And he, we both looked at him like he had read our mail and John said, yes, but what's that got to do with anything? And he said, well, it has to do with everything. We're discovering this system that is creating some of the issues you two are facing. And so it felt brand new. Fast forward to me raising children then, I've been raising them in this awareness of what is a dysfunctional family. Um, I'm now divorced based on a lot of the things that I learned. Um, My ex and I are on very good terms. But what I'm noticing is our kids were raised with a different set of expectations and perhaps a different vocabulary. And so what's happening is parents my age who thought they were doing better (laughs) are actually hearing bigger complaints than my generation has levied at their own parents. Does that make sense? Do you hear what I'm saying? A hundred percent. And I think I wrote something about this the other day. I, I really agree with your theory that I think adults today, myself included, are looking back at how our parents parented through the lens of the parenting advice that we're hearing today. And so it's difficult to remember, like, that wasn't around back then. You know, my parents doing their best were like putting us in time out and, you know, like ignore the tantrum. Like it was a lot of that type of stuff. And so I think it's really easy to judge um, your parents based off like this rhetoric that you're seeing now. Now, I like to totally separate that from abuse, neglect, things like that, that we've known have always been wrong and bad. And I never want anyone to think like, oh, it's just now that I'm looking back and saying that was wrong. You know, that was always wrong. Correct. And in fact, I think having the vocabulary to name and describe it is so important. And like my parents' generation, they're in their 80s. They didn't have that vocabulary. My own grandmother had clinical postpartum depression and they gave her electric shock treatments for it. And she wound up having severe de- dementia when she was you know, older, which we don't know if those are connected, but there is some theorizing that it's possible. But one thing that she did say years and years later, decades after that shock therapy was, I really just needed someone to talk to. And you know, I think there was this misunderstanding that if you felt bad, that wasn't allowed. You had to perform your role and you weren't allowed to feel bad performing it. So the goal was to eliminate feeling bad. And then along came like the revolution in women's rights, no fault divorce, women sort of saying, I'm not going to live like this anymore. And then there was a whole generation of children who felt like they were latchkey kids, or in my case, had parents who divorced. I was the first person I knew with divorced parents. So it is a very different environment to lose the ideal of your parents' marriage when you're the only one versus even my kids who've told me, mom, so many parents are divorced. It it hit them in a different way. 
So can you speak a little bit then to this generational difference? Because when these adult kids come back, and this is what I talk about with my peer group, they're, my peer group is mystified. I'm constantly arguing for the child's perspective, but they're mystified. They're looking back and feeling like they did such a much better job than their own parents did. And now they don't know how to cope with what look like really trivial complaints. I, I don't think they're trivial, but I wonder if we could just start from that perspective. Like what? How could they see me this way? Yeah, you know, I think what you're speaking to is sort of this uh, belief that you're not supposed to challenge your parents either, right? You're supposed to accept what you get. Um, it's it's a very new phenomenon to go back to your parents and say like, hey, I didn't like that thing that you did. You know, I, that's not language that I, I certainly know my parents didn't have. And it sounds like your peers didn't have either. And so I think that feeling can just be uncomfortable of like, wait, we're not supposed to do this. Um, it can feel disrespectful. It can feel shameful. Like I think all these big feelings come up. But I always want to empathize with the parent of like, you might have done a really good job. You might have done your best. Um, and your adult child still may have not gotten exactly what they needed from you. They may be searching for meaning or answers in their own life, and you are the easiest place to go back to. And so whenever whenever a child comes to their parent with this kind of stuff, I always like to preface it with that it's probably because they want to understand, they want to connect, and they want to feel heard. It's not because they want to shame you or bully you or make you feel bad. In that case, I think most of those kids, they just aren't speaking to their parents. No, that's true. And actually, that goes directly to something I'm curious about. So the language of boundaries is also really common today. Uh, I'm an active member of Al-Anon. When we talk about boundaries, we're usually talking about fences, not walls, fences that can be moved that are about protecting self, not punishing the other person, uh, and that they are flexible based on circumstance and your needs for that day. A lot of times what my peer group says is that their kids are using boundaries like punishment, sort of like this great big wall to prove that they're grownups and they have strong opinions, which I also understand. I actually punished my dad and his wife for 35 years. I have never celebrated a holiday with my father since the divorce. And I only realized what a travesty that was about five years ago. And my dad and I are on speaking terms, terms. But what I noticed is that I felt like it was my job to uphold the moral code of the family. And when it crashed, when my dad had this affair, I felt like I had to take this big stand and set up a boundary and let the world know because otherwise he would get away with it. How often do you think boundaries cross over into punishment as opposed to healthy self-care? Mm -hmm. I think we see that a lot when there's not nuance applied like to the dynamic. So I totally feel like I understand why you did what you did. And I imagine that it, it happened that way because you felt like you didn't have any other options or like ways to explore what happened. So a lot of times I'll use like the holidays, for example, I'll hear a kid saying like, I don't want to do this thing with my mom. She always wants me to celebrate the same way. So they'll call up and be like, mom, we're not celebrating Christmas this year together. That's my boundary. 
And if the mom tries to push it, it's like, oh, you're gaslighting me. You're not listening to me. When really the delivery is just kind of off, right? Like you're entitled to spend your holidays however you want, but it might be better to come in with a softer approach of like, mom, I know we've been doing this for, you know, the last 30 years, but it's really hard for us with the kids. And we want to try to do something different this year. How do you feel about that? Or like, would you like to join us for lunch and try to make it a little bit more flexible and also just understanding because I don't think we like to be on the receiving end of those kind of boundaries either. No. And I think sometimes the mistaken impression is, is that the boundary will promote healing. It may initially promote healing for yourself. Like if you need some distance and I've, I've certainly had times where I've withdrawn from a relationship over a period of time or, or recharacterized it in my own mind. But if it's used the way I was using it, which is to try and show them the error of their ways, that's actually not about me. That's not a boundary. That's actually a timeout. (laughs) It's, it's a child issuing that timeout to the adult. So let's pivot now and talk a little about these young adults, because that's really who's listening to my show, not people my age. And I really have a lot of empathy for what they may be feeling. I know when I was raising kids, the zeitgeist in my community of homeschool in particular was obedience. So there was this idea that a child's actual safety in the world was dependent on being able to respectfully obey, even if you didn't understand what a parent was saying. And so to your point, as psychology and parenting tactics have changed over the last 40 years, we've noticed that obedience can lead to a lot of repression, a lot of big feelings that go unnoticed, and a lot of prioritizing of the adult over the child. So now that's backfiring, right? These adults are raising kids. And the way that generation seems to be raising them from my perspective is what I would call the manipulative form of obedience or cooperation, right? So there's this idea, if I explain myself better, my child will cooperate freely when really it's still about the parent's agenda. How do we take these learnings and actually create an environment where we aren't building resentment in our kids? Mm -hmm. I think you have to start off parenting with this belief of like, I am going to mess up. I'm going to do things that in 30 years, my kid is going to come to me and say, you know what, mom, when you forced me to play soccer or you did this or that, it was not what I needed. It it didn't feel good to me. And if you have that feeling of like, I'm going to do the best I can. And if the results aren't great, we're going to work on it together. I think it's easier. I feel like a lot of the parenting advice I see today is like, if you do this, you will get good results. And it's not always that simple. You know, every child's different. The the systems around them matter. Who are their teachers, their friends? Where do they live? Um, What other family members are interacting with them that you cannot control for everything? Right. And so if that's true, then what do we do with that gap then between the parent's best intention and a real sense of harm or injury on the side of the young adult? Can you give us some models for how that relationship can repair? 
The first place to start is recognizing that I can feel a certain way about how that event went and my parent can feel totally differently and that's okay. Those two things can exist at the same time. So how can I be open to hearing about your experience and not shut it down? And maybe also how can I be open to hearing about yours and we can develop empathy for each other. And then what I would want to hear on behalf of the adult child is like, what do you want this relationship to look like moving forward? What works for you? Like, I think we have to remember we're not children anymore. We have agency. So what boundaries do you want to have in place? What type of interactions do you want to have? And working together collaboratively to move forward. I I find that a lot of the adult kids I work with are like, they're my parent. They should just know. And that's not always the case, right? And so if you have a parent in front of you that's like, I love you, I want to listen, I'm willing to hear you out, take that, you know, do something with that. And and it's not going to be easy or smooth all the time, but if you're both willing, it's possible. What happens when a child, an adult child, uh, veers into abusive anger in that expression One of the things, and it can happen the other way around. The parent too can turn around and be really cruel back when they don't, when they hear what they don't want to hear. What do we do when that interaction goes south? Um, And whose responsibility is it? So one of my friends was sharing with me uh, an abusive circumstance with one of her kids, who's an adult who was sort of firing off a lot of accusations. And the tenor of the accusations was really cruel. Like it wasn't therapist couch. Here's how I'm feeling. How do you feel? It was like stored up and then launched. And ironically, I happen to know this, this adult very well. This is somebody who works in the field of psychology and who feels like they have skills. Right. So I wonder like, what do we do with that? How do we handle the explosiveness of feelings? Sometimes I feel like And I'm only realizing this now at age 62, we sort of expect people in their 60s, 70s and 80s to be this whole other version of human being. Like the maturity means they don't make mistakes. They do understand. They have enormous capacity. And I'm finding out that that's not true, (laughs) much to my own disappointment, by the way. I thought I would be more mature, more healthy, less vulnerable to the slings and arrows at this stage than I was when I was 30. So I think you're so right about this idea that people can get older, but not necessarily emotionally mature or improve, right? Especially if they take no accountability in that or try to learn. When we think about adult children and their parents interacting, everybody is, you know, required in some way to be respectful, understanding, compassionate. The the way the line gets kind of blurred here for me is that I find when parents get very upset at their children for acting in a certain way, that that behavior was modeled in the family somewhere throughout the history. Not always, but sometimes. And I see this particularly in cases where maybe there was parental alienation, there was divorce, something like that, where maybe one parent was behaving in a certain way and the other wasn't. And so now you see a child acting out, maybe in that more disruptive way. So parents will often say, like, we don't speak to each other like that. But we have been speaking to each other like that, whether it's in the marriage or between the children, whatever. So it can go a long way for parents to be accountable for that and be like, I know there was a lot of yelling in our house. 
I know that sometimes I yelled at your dad or your dad yelled at me, whatever, and really acknowledge that. But I'm trying to be better and I don't want us to speak to each other like that. And if one or both people continue to engage in that type of communication, that's when I would say it's time for a boundary to bring in a third party, some type of mediator, whether that's a therapist, um, communicating via writing for a while or trying to find a way that is a little bit more appropriate. So something that lowers the temperature for the sake of that communication. I do love the idea of triangling in help through a therapist or a, a mediator. That's that's really powerful. Also, writing is very interesting. Letter writing strikes me as interesting. Would you say that it is possible? So I have always blamed everything on divorce because it was so powerful in my life. And then I basically, you know, created a similar circumstance for my kids, which I never intended to. But then I have these friends who are in these long-term marriages and they seem like they've been really decent people and didn't have some of the characteristics that I experienced with my kids where we have things we can actually point to and we all agree we're dysfunctional. What do you say to those people who think, well, I'm married and we're actually pretty nice people and um, my kids are pointing out all this stuff. One of the things I've noticed, and tell me if you think this is true, in the families where the ideals haven't been shattered in quite the way that I experienced it, um, there is a tendency to be a little more controlling about the image of the family on the whole. And when these kids try to individuate as a young adult or into their adulthood lives, I think it's a shock sometimes for these parents to see their kids not adopting their religion or their values or their parenting techniques or their politics. And that creates its own kind of chemistry that is uncomfortable. Can you talk about how that dynamic can be navigated more successfully? Yes. So you're right. Family systems that have not had a lot of disruptions like from the outside. So we're thinking like financial issues, um, health problems, all of that. They tend to maybe move along throughout the life cycle well when there is a good uh, level of control over the family. And what you're speaking about is like as kids age, they begin to differentiate. When they kind of buck the system, that's when parents are like, wait, what are you doing? And I think you have to, again, go back to this belief of like, my children are not my property to control. They are their own unique adult individuals. And it's not what they're doing that's disrupting the family. It's me insisting that I know what's best for them and I'm I'm going to control them. I think also in the type of families you're describing, I see a lot of these types of families, like everything seems good, right? But it's also because they're not talking about anything. And so their child might be the first one in adulthood to be like, mom and dad, I could tell that you guys were mad at each other, but you would just like fake smile and walk on eggshells and say nothing was wrong. And now I have no conflict resolution skills and I'm struggling. And I don't think parents want to hear that because you think that everything being calm all the time means that everything is good. And that's not really true in family systems. Sometimes chaos can be really transformative and, and good. And at least the people know what's real and what's going on. So what about when a parent's feelings get hurt? For instance, not being invited 
to the birth of a baby, um, feeling like they aren't in on the details of a adult child's life. I remember having a conversation with a friend of mine and she said, oh, I never know what's going on. They let me know I'm last. And they felt like it was daughters. She felt like she was so close to them growing up. Is that normal? I need to know if that's normal for my age range especially my community where we were home educators and really invested in the dailiness of our kids' lives. I think I thought I was building for myself like this inviolable community that would be my closest in-crowd best friends because homeschooling promised that. And then I'd been through a divorce on two sides. And yet I've watched my adults. They love me. Absolutely do. I know that. I love them. And we have good communication, but they are very much their own community. And I am the parent on the outside of that group. Is that pretty ordinary? It's painful. It's, I have it's to very, admit. Yes. It's, it, it's painful and it's very normal. I was actually reading research the other day about how as parents age, particularly as they move into their late fifties, early sixties, they become way more interested in being very invested in their child's life. And as children go through like their 30s, they're in the prime of their career, they're building their own family, it becomes even more difficult for them to maintain such contact with their parents. And so you have these two competing interests that I find, one, you are absolutely not alone in that. I think any parent of an adult child can relate to that feeling. But knowing that it's developmentally appropriate and actually very normal, I think can be comforting. And it's also a great time to redefine the relationship with your child and what it means to be close. Does that mean we're texting, we're sending each other pictures, we visit a certain amount of time that I think it's those unspoken needs and expectations that end up getting you more hurt in the long run. Happiest of holidays to everyone who celebrates anything in December If you aren't yet a member of our membership community called Brave Learner Home, I invite you to join us. We're over 13,000 members strong. We have incredible conversations and resources designed just for you to have full success in your homeschooling life. Last month, I did a webinar on the myth of rigor and requirements, and that is up for replay now and perfect as a way for you to anticipate January when you re-up that homeschooling commitment. This month, I'm doing another webinar in December to talk about how to create your own annual solstice tradition. This is a tradition that I created during a dark period in my personal life, and it birthed a living tradition that continues today with my adult kids. This solstice tradition is not specifically religious in any way, but it capitalizes on the magic and habits of your homeschool. So if that's something of interest to you, I invite you to join Brave Learner Home. To learn more, go to bravewriter.com slash special dash offer. It's in the show notes, and I look forward to seeing you inside. Yeah, I do think that it's helpful to hear that it's developmental because I don't know what it's like to be in my 60s and have grown kids until I'm doing it, which ironically is how every stage of parenting feels. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) 
And I do think it's interesting. I think there's a feeling, especially as grandchildren come along or weddings or whatever, that we get to recycle a piece of that role that was so dear to us when we were raising our own children. I remember when my first grandchild was born, I think I literally thought I'd be the third parent. Yeah. Yeah. You know, she lives locally. I'll be in on everything. And it was very apparent to me quickly that as much as I'm valued and loved, and I know that I am, I don't live there. I never will live there. It really isn't my story. My story of parenting is over. This is actually a whole new discovery, what it means to be the grandparent and also the sort of support to the parents, right? Not the third parent, but like what best facilitates them in having an exceptional experience. And of course, they're going to make their own decisions. They're going to make their own decisions. I did at least have this role model in my mother. She always used to say, whatever you decide, I will support because this is your chance to have the fun and the risk-taking that I had. And I only found out decades later that when I first told her we were homeschooling, she wasn't supportive. I would never have known that. She never showed even an ounce of distrust. And in the end, ended up really loving what we did. But she told me, oh, yeah, I spent the first several years really doubting, thinking it wasn't a good decision, but I never told you. I think that was actually pretty healthy modeling for me. A hundred percent. I think you're speaking to the idea of moving into like the consultant role, yes. they call yes. it, as, as mm. your children age, instead of being an active like coach protector and all of that Mm. other stuff that you've been doing. Consultant is a nice word. I think some parents want to be consulted (laughs) more than the kids want to consult them. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) There's definitely a desire to feel useful, which I I get, especially if you were a stay-at-home parent, homeschooling, that was all, that was your whole life. Right. It's hard. It is. And I think the other part of this too is the future is foreshortened once you hit 60. So every day that goes by, you're so conscious of how much closer you are to the end of things. So there's this weird clinging and desperation a little bit to make the memories, to have the memories. Whereas for someone in their 30s, They've got countless Octobers ahead of them. They've got countless Christmases ahead of them. But when you are, you know, 65, you're like, do I have five? Do I have 10? You know, and and it feels the, the felt sense is very different. So help me with this. Let's do a little role play. I'm going to pretend that I'm the mom. You're the kid. And I want you to, um, I've come to your house. You've just had a baby. I've cleaned everything. I've done the diapers. I've been there for you. And then I actually start rearranging something in the house. And you ask me to not do that. Can we role play how that goes? Okay. All right. So uh, I'll let you start with what I should not be doing. Something to that effect. You know, whether it's in the kitchen or the whatever. Something I shouldn't be doing after I've just served you, in my view, Within mm-hmm. an inch of your life. Okay, go. <laughs> and, and I'm going to model a healthy way of communicating yes. that I would like you to stop that. Yes. Okay. Okay. So I would probably start by saying, Mom, thank you so much for coming over and helping me today. I really appreciate it. I see that you're moving some stuff over here, and I really like where everything is. So I would appreciate if we could just 
leave it there. Thank you. Okay. But you know, I, I've been in your house all week and I've like taken care of a lot of your stuff. And this is clutter that you keep tripping over when you come through the room. I'm not trying to rearrange your decorating. I just, I'm just trying to be helpful. Mm-hmm. That's fine. It's, it doesn't bother me. I like that the stuff is there. So I think we should just leave it. But thank you again so much for helping with everything else. I, I really appreciate it. Good. So what I'm feeling is somehow unvalued, right? And what you're saying is I do value you, but this is a limit to how you can express that, um, which makes sense to me. What about something, let's up the ante a little bit. Let's say that you have um, you have a, an adult, a parent who really thinks that they should be allowed to come to the birth of your baby uh, and feels excluded from that experience. How can you communicate that to the parent that doesn't create a sense of um, betrayal? I think part of what I'm hearing when I talk with my peer group is they want to be included. And when they get excluded, it feels like a healthy boundary. (laughs) It doesn't feel like connection. So how do you do that that forges connection? So the the thing that I always want to include is like empathy for the other person's experience. So I think even saying like, I know that you really want to be here and that you've been thinking about this day and I've me and my husband have decided that it's just too hard for us to have a lot of people in the room. So after I give birth, we're going to make sure that you can come and meet the baby and spend time with us. And I'm so excited for when that happens. And I think creating another opportunity that, that works for both of you is really important. That's very helpful. I feel like what's missing in a lot of these conversations is empathy. Is there a place for honoring? Uh, This was a question a friend of mine asked. She said, you know, um, she has a son-in-law who is from Central America. And whenever he visits his family, he brings a gift (laughs) to the older people. There is a sense of honoring that is a part of their culture. And she and I were sort of wondering aloud, has that been lost for the sake of psychological health? Is there a difference between honoring and also creating emotional health? Or does honoring end up feeling like codependency now in this psychological frame of reference we're in? I think there's absolutely a place for that and there's value in it. What I find I hear from adult children is that it's like, I'm honoring you, but you don't want to honor me. And you only want to honor me when I do things exactly how you want them. And so I think as a parent to go back to like the birth example, if you heard that, the best thing would be to to sort of internalize, like, it's not that she doesn't want me there. It's not that she's doing this to me. She wants this experience to be a certain way for her. And my job as her mother is to be supportive and kind. And I'm going to get to meet the baby and have those moments instead of getting into this thing of like, well, I want to be there. I should get to be there because then you're making it about you. And that's immediately when the the adult is going to come back and be like, now the boundaries just get 10 times worse because you're trying, you're trying to like really push me. It's hard though. Wouldn't you agree when it's things like 
you can't come to my wedding or we're not having a wedding or uh, I'm doing graduation just with my boyfriend. Like these, the part that I, I sometimes wish young adults could imagine is that their older parents feel exactly about them the way they are currently feeling about their small children. Like imagine not getting to go to your child's eighth grade graduation or take pictures before prom. And so it's the same thing, but it's like magnified because these are like significant life events that I think parents have always imagined being a part of. And so when those things become like a boundary rather than wow, this is probably heartbreaking for you. I'm making a very difficult decision. You raised us for all these years and imagined walking me down the aisle or whatever it is. And now that's not happening, right? But instead, it's sort of like, how dare you not respect that I want independence? It's like, dude, (laughs) I still feel about you the way I felt when you were eight years old. I know that's hard to imagine, but like in my body. Do Do you hear what I'm saying a little bit? I totally do. You know, I think where there's the disconnect and what comes up for me when you're saying that is that when I talk to uh, adult children and their parents, and I've had the opportunity to see both sides, there is an experience, I think, for the adult child that is often not seen by the parent. And so I think what you're speaking about is in families, maybe where there's no reason for that that can be found. But what I see sometimes is like, You've got an adult child that's like, I don't want my dad at my wedding because he always drinks too much and embarrasses me. And when the adult child sets that that boundary, and this is after years of boundaries, the parent's like, I raised you. I should be at your wedding. And it's like, but dad, you've embarrassed me or gotten too drunk at 20 other life events leading up to this point. And so there is some denial at play sometimes, I think, in some of these more extreme situations of like, our relationship has been so perfect. And then one day they just woke up and said, I don't want you there. And I don't think that, I think sometimes we have to reflect as parents and be like, what got us here? You know, what did I maybe miss along the way? Mm. Those are good questions. Good self-reflection questions. So is there any advice that you would give Um, for going into this holiday season that would be useful for both sides. What are some ways that that we create connection and we sort of cool the intensity? I I know I remember talking with one of my friends and she said, I just feel like they need to at least think well of me. I don't have evil intent. And I thought, yeah, I understand that as a requirement. But on the flip side, once it's a requirement, you're in pretense. Pretense gets us nowhere. So I do think on some level, thinking well of each other, a mutual agreement that nobody's out to harm each other, but then sometimes sometimes they are. So I don't know what the foundation is. I don't know how to set that sort of, that baseline that ensures um, good communication, thinking well within reality, not denial. Right. I like to go back to what we talked about earlier of like perspective taking, you know, of like, can I imagine as a parent what it's like to be my adult child who's got three little kids and is really busy and I'm asking her to come to my house on Christmas and to drive two hours and to get here at this certain time. And like, I think for some parents, when they hear that boundary from the child, like, but this is what we always do. I can't believe she doesn't want to come here. It's rude. So how can we try to understand what it's like 
for each other and as our parents who have been doing the same thing for 40 years and want to have, you know, their holidays the way that they like to do it. That and trying to find little ways to make everything better. So maybe instead of saying, I'm just not doing Hanukkah this year or whatever, saying, you know what? I'm not going to cook this year. I'm going to have it catered. I'm going to bring something from the grocery store, or we're going to say we need to eat a little bit earlier together. Like how I I always come back to this idea of compromising instead of there needing to be this whole like overhaul of you're the problem and I'm not, and I'm cutting you out. Right. Yeah. In fact, I remember when, uh, when I did live in California and all the grandparents were, you know, within driving distance, we made a rule that the main holiday we happen to celebrate Christmas would just be our immediate family, but we were happy to do a second version at either place, or they could come to us if they really wanted to after presents were opened. And that just worked really well. And we actually established a different day Christian Christmas tradition where we would go to a movie with my dad and his wife and our kids. And that established a routine with them that became a different memory, different kind of memory. I think sometimes we're trying to recreate the past in my age group instead of recognizing we get to create a new future, a different a different way of being together. With my own children after the divorce, um, I established a solstice holiday that was just for me and the five kids uh, that is independent of any religious tradition, doesn't require other relatives, doesn't require their dad because that was a way for me to do something different and new, and they really valued it. So sometimes offering something new as an alternative to recreating when young adults want to create something new for themselves, aren't they trying to individuate away from the family in some meaningful ways? Yes. And I I want to point out what you just brought up, because I think it's so important that as new developments happen in the family, whether that's the divorce, birth of new children, whatever, that is a time to reevaluate what needs to change, what needs to be different. There's often so much pain when you're going through those things, like, but we have to do everything exactly the same for it to be meaningful and it doesn't work. Mm. Yeah, because you sometimes are dredging up pain. That was partly how I felt about it. I felt like if we could start something new, then this would be independent. It would be in that new season. And it's become really a valuable tradition for us, which much to my delight, right? So all these cravings that you have when you've raised your kids and you were close to them can be satisfied, but it's maybe not going to look anything like how you imagined it or fantasized about it. Yeah. Do you have any other thoughts about this? What do you want me to know? What do you want young adults to know? Like, what are you secretly wishing you could tell everybody to make sure we work on this in a healthy way? I want everyone to just like lower their defenses when talking about these topics. I think it's deeply painful for parents and deeply painful for their children. And that's because it matters so much Mm. because they want to be close. They want to be connected. There's a biological, you know, part of us that is drawn to that. And so it's important. And also knowing that if you cannot make it work, there are extreme cases of abuse, neglect that some people cannot make it work. That doesn't mean that you can't recreate another family, salvage certain relationships within your family and not others. That's really helpful. I know the hardest thing to do in the moment when an adult child says, 
they need to share something painful is to hear that as a bid for connection. And I like to tell people all the time, that's what it is. It's the very same feeling you have in your married partnership or whoever you live with when you want to express some dissatisfaction. All you want is for the person to hold space for that. You don't have to do a lot with it, right? What what would be the ideal way a parent could respond to a complaint of a child? Do you want to share that? I think first, just trying to seek understanding of like, I want to hear more about your perspective. Tell me about it. Actively listening, making eye contact, nodding, not getting defensive, and then trying to understand, okay, I know that you feel that way. What what do they want from this interaction? Some kids just want to feel heard. They want you to say like, you know what? I know the divorce was the right decision and I could see how that was hard on you. And I I think both ways would have been hard on you, but I'm listening and I'm understanding how that uniquely impacted you. That might be it. That's all they want. For other kids, they're looking for some type of change in behavior, right? So what does that actually look like? What are we going to change about our relationship and how can we move forward from here? What if the need that the child has is not congruent with what the adult can do or wants to do? So you want your parent to reach out to you more and then they just don't. Do you just learn to accept that? What do you do when a parent doesn't live up to your hopes? Yeah, I I wrote a piece on this about accepting your parents for who they are. And I think that's really what it comes down to is this question of if my parent never stops this thing or never does this thing, can I have a relationship with them? And really thinking about what that looks like for you. It is different for every single person. It might mean I have to change parts of the relationship. For other people, it might mean I have to let go of this facade of a relationship I have with my parent. And that might be true for parents of adult children too. You know, when you have kids with addiction, with severe mental illness, that might be harming you in some way that, you know, you can provide all the love and care and support, but you might need to do that from a distance. Yeah. Right. And sometimes the things that we want, we just don't get in our relationship. So learning how to see the full scale humanity of each other is really important, isn't it? Everybody's just experimenting all the time. That is my latest conclusion. (laughs) We're we're taking the amount of psychology and spirituality and human experience that we have available. And then we just experiment and we hope that at the end of it, there's still some love and connection and good memories. Would you say? Yes, I completely agree. Whitney, you are such a joy to talk to. I hope everyone follows your account. I get something good out of it every single day. You're everywhere on TikTok and Instagram, so we'll make that available. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I wanted to add a footnote to that conversation. One of the challenges I felt when I was a young adult in my 30s and early 40s is that I was still under the illusion that somehow when you are a grown-up, you actually know more than you do. If we can think about our parents and as parents think about our adult children as human beings with limited insight and awareness, we can at least make some space for what became mistakes that felt like good decisions at the time. And that goes both ways. Sometimes a young adult makes too strong of a boundary or communicates their pain in a really 
what feels like unjust or unfair way, but that's a young adult experimenting with individuating and figuring out what they need to have a successful adult life. Conversely, sometimes a parent is held accountable for decisions they made that at the time felt like the wisest, time-tested, psychologically approved choice that is now either out of fashion or shown to be actually damaging. And as we navigate that territory between those two extremes, we are human beings, limited, flawed, unable to see around the corners and know what always creates the best and most healthy circumstances for relating. I know for me that my mother's time-tested advice has been what I've stood by. She said to me when I was 30, at the height of pain, when I was starting to really process the impact of my parents' divorce, she said these words, Julie, for as long as I'm alive, you can come to me at any time with the pain that has resulted from the divorce, and I promise to hear you and hold space for you. That's the best we can do. We can't fix the past, but we can certainly be a witness and a kind, loving support to our children when they express their pain. And as children, we can give our parents the gift of acceptance and love when they do that. Thanks for joining me and Whitney today. I really hope that you'll follow her Instagram account. I find it so valuable. And don't forget to read her book, Toxic Positivity. It's going to give you so many great ideas for how to develop a life that is whole and meaningful. This is the part of the podcast where I ask you to leave a review. You can leave stars or words, whatever your choice is. If you've already left a review, thank you so much. You never know, Natalie might read yours one of these weeks. The truth is I love podcasting and I couldn't do it without you. I'd love your ideas for the next topics you'd like me to discuss on the show. To let us know, reach out to us via our SMS or texting number. That number is 1-833-947-3684. I know that's a mouthful. Don't worry. It's in the show notes. Simply text the word POD to be added to the podcast group. And then just text us any ideas you have for future shows. We're already building a beautiful Excel spreadsheet with all your ideas. Hi, Brave Writer listeners. It's Natalie, again from the Brave Writer team, and I've got another five-star review for you. Today's comes from Working Mom NC. I have listened to every single episode of Julie Bogart's podcast, And as far as advice for parenting, adulting, and homeschooling, she knocks it out of the park every time. My children are too young for formal schooling right now, but I've been planning on homeschooling them since before they were born. And all of Julie's advice, shared experience, and recommended resources have given me so much confidence and understanding of what is to come. Today's episode was produced by Nova Media with support from team members Jeanette Hall and Natalie Miele. I'm Julie Bogart, author of The Brave Learner and Raising Critical Thinkers. I'm also the founder of BraveWriter.com, an innovative approach 
to writing instruction. You've been listening to the Brave Writer Podcast. Until next time, keep going. Think well. I'm rooting for you.